Hello everyone and welcome to Uncomplicated, a podcast for education professionals, MAT leaders, school staff, teachers and frankly anyone who's interested in what's going on in the world of education. I'm Tom Kershaw, Senior Education Market Specialist at Iris Software Group and today I'm joined by Jeff Marshall who as well as a long and successful career in the financial sector, has been a school governor for 28 years, the majority as chair and academy trust member, is a fellow of the Chartered Management Institute and a fellow of the Chartered Governance Institute, and is managing director of J&G Marshall Limited, which offers legal and educational services, principally to help schools to convert to academy status, as well as supporting them post-conversion. And most recently, um, Jeff has been appointed as a MATA advisory board member. Morning, Jeff. Morning, Tom. Thanks for inviting me, sir. Um, so the reason I've asked Jeff to join me today is that I want to talk a little bit about MAT centralisation. Now, the advantages conferred by centralisation are obviously at the heart of the government's push for a minimum 10 school multi-academy trusts with various benefits cited, you know, improvements in efficiency, putting expertise for key operational issues like financial management in the hands of experts, economies of scale for procurement, etc., etc., um, I mean, ultimately, this is about removing some of the operational burdens for schools, freeing up schools to focus on the important job of teaching and learning and improving outcomes for children. You know, what head teacher wouldn't prefer to be improving the quality of teaching in their school over balancing a budget, for instance. But clearly right now, there is a need to save money. You know, for small trusts, for instance, there's a lot of talk about growth to achieve some of these economies of scale. But you also need these effective centralised models to achieve this. So I suppose my first question, Jeff, is... In your experience, is there a typical order for centralisation? You know, or does it depend on where you're starting from and what size the trust is? I think it's a good good question, that Tom, to be fair. And and our experience is um, the bigger the multi-academy trust, the more that they actually move towards centralisation earlier. The smaller the multi-academy trust, the longer it takes them to centralise because we have this mindset of well, why should I give up something if I'm joining a multi-academy trust? We then have the conversation and the, 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 the question around, are we joining an existing multi-academy trust or are we going to convert and create a new multi-academy trust? And that opens up a completely different conversation. Um, I rarely see groups creating a new multi-academy trust and they go to centralisation immediately. Right. I usually see a school converting and joining one of the big players and they move to centralisation very, very early. Um, but... I then talk about educational mats and business mats and, and the big business, the national mats, centralisation is usually done very, very early. Um, and for the smaller educational mats, the only really thing that we talk about centralisation is centralisation of SLAs and contracts at the start of that conversion. So the bigger the trust, the earlier the centralisation, the smaller the trust, the longer it takes to get there in reality. There's no real typical order for centralisation um, in reality, especially if you join one, because centralisation is already done and you know what you're buying into the minute that you join. But creating one, creating a multi-academy trust because of this, 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 this white paper of goal for every school to be in an academy by 2030 and 10 schools or 7,500 pupils, you have an awful lot of schools who've been open for 50, 60, 70, 80 years who are then talking about coming together to create one entity, something bigger than the sum of the parts. The last thing on the mind is how can we centralise finances? How can we centralise this? It's usually an external player, an external agency, support network, who would then walk through the door and say, well, actually, we can actually get economies of scale and bulk purchasing power here. 
And usually the trigger there is SLAs and contracts. It isn't necessarily about finances and pooling all of the, the, the gag uh, and money to then say, how do we actually utilize this? Because that's a big, big conversation to have with schools, Tom, to be fair. Yeah, what I mean, you mentioned it there. What, what, what's your opinion on, on gag pooling in general? I was delivering a training session yesterday and it was all about finances and the biggest section of it was centralization, i.e. pooling, gag pooling versus top slice. Um, and even a mixture of the two. So having some skills in the trust where the top slice and some skills in the trust where the gag pooled. Um, and it has to be done properly. And the messaging is absolutely key. The thing that came out of all of the, the training session is messaging is absolutely key. You've got a number of schools, you've got business managers and they've been managing budgets for years and they've got money sat in the bank and they could have two, three, four hundred thousand sat in the bank in reserves. Joining a multi-academy trust where all of a sudden it's all trust money. There's no such thing as school money in a multi-academy trust. It's all trust money. And it's the trustees or the directors who will make the decision where that money ends up. So we've got to move away from this. It's the school's money and what about us and why do we pay a top slice? Yeah, that's the same as a school where we're outstanding, they're, RA. they're taking more support than anybody, but we're paying the same top slice. We have to move away from that mindset. And how to move away from a mindset is messaging. The messaging is it's all trust money. And it might be you that takes some of that money this year. It might be you that are in a financial problem in years to come and you might need to then pay a bigger top slice at some future point. But gag pooling, the key is messaging. What do we get? So what I mean by that is you could turn around to a group of five schools creating a multi-academy trust and say, let's gag pool. And all the school business managers will say, well, if you do that, we don't need five school business managers. So who's mm-hmm. being made redundant? If we do that, how about then we actually get the messaging right that says, what do you need to survive as a school? And if you get that, what's left on top, what's left there is actually the top slice. So the messaging is different. So in other words, if you need a million to survive, but your budget is 1.1 million, then the 100,000 goes into trust reserves. Mm-hmm. Let's say we have that messaging. Rather than saying you get 1.1 million, let's take five or 10% off you. Because all of a sudden it's like you're starting from a point where you're taking money off them. Yeah. as opposed to starting from a point where you're building the budget from the ground up in the trust. And what's left over, you could say that's the top slice. So messaging is different. Messaging becomes key when you're actually pooling and gag pooling. Whereas if you're top slicing, let's top slice you 5%. What do we get for that? Well, we can't afford it. And that's the immediately how the conversation goes. I, I can understand the benefits of gag pooling. I can the bigger the trust, I can see the, 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 the need to gag pool. Take that pain away from the schools and say to the schools, your job is to solely concentrate on teaching and learning and well-being and health and safety and standards. I have no issues with that because all the issues about running a budget, if they're done by the trust, the central team, then we're not doing that in the school. We're just focusing on teaching and learning. So the messaging has got to be, why are we gag pooling? How are we building the budget from the ground up? I say to a school, how much do you need? That's what you'll get. And if you want over and above that, that's the trust reserves that we're building up by taking the money into central. 
and once we've done that in, in groups creating a multi-academy trust, the pressure and the pain goes away about someone's taking my money. And I think for the small multi-academy trust, gag pooling just doesn't work. And, and that might be contentious and that might just be my opinion. But the smaller the multi-academy trust that's just been created when you've got five school business managers who can run their schools really well, gag pooling becomes a bit of a threat. And it's a risk that we have to mitigate. And the way that we mitigate risk in gag pooling is the messaging of why we're doing it and what we're getting for it and what are the benefits of gag pooling versus top slice. That becomes key. Messaging becomes key, Tom. Yeah, so I suppose there's a lot of practical issues here, isn't there? I mean, we can talk in theoretical terms about, um, you know, the virtues of gag pooling in terms of, say, equity or... Um, you know, supporting small, isolated rural schools that might be, say, hubs of their community and that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be able to survive on the on the budgets that, that, that they have um, without gag pooling. But as you as you mentioned there, there are some significant barriers to growing a trust, adding schools and then changing the model. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about your experience there. You, you mentioned school business managers and, of course, you start to centralise functions one one of the issues there is on a person level some jobs are, are redundant you know they're, they're simply not needed anymore how, how is that process managed see tom that is such a good question because we, if, if you consider it we've, we've got schools here with with skill sets and strengths and they may have money sat in the bank and all of a sudden you create a new five school multi-academy trust or a 10 school multi-academy trust and you actually look at what's needed and you actually go through the mapping out of top slice versus gag pooling if you look at the gag pooling model are you going to take all those five or ten school business managers into the central team? Do we really need that? And if we don't need that, then immediately what you're saying is this trust is making people redundant. We're going to actually make we're going to have a restructure in the trust. It might be that we only need three of the five school business managers or six of the ten school business managers into the central team because we don't need five or ten. It's a way we can save money to direct back to teaching and learning. But the reputational risk there, Tom, saying mm. if a school joins your trust, then the likelihood is you're going to lose your school business manager. It's Turkey's voting for Christmas there, because why would you actually do that? Why would you do that? What would be the benefit to your school to, to actually say, come and join our trust, we might make people redundant. But it's a good idea for us to do that. If messaging isn't done properly, it is an issue. Reputational risk is massive. That, that how we mitigate that is actually uh, is understanding the benefits of doing what we are doing. And what I actually see, Tom, is I actually see the majority of new trusts that are being built starting out with a top slice model. And as they grow through natural wastage, they move to a, a gag pooling centralised system right. in the future, in phase two, phase three, phase four of their growth model. So rather than doing it up front and hitting a reputational risk as a, a, an employer that makes people redundant as soon as you join us, which actually conversely then threatens the growth plan. As other schools say, well, actually, we could join the trust down the road that actually uses top slice and we keep all of our staff. So in reality, there are more, there are more risks involved in gag pooling in smaller educational multi-academy trusts that are being built. Now, if you have a school that wishes to join a larger multi-academy trust, as long as they go in with their eyes open and understand that gag pooling is and centralisation is the model that that trust uses, but it is right for our school, mm. 
then they're going in with their eyes open. It's not being done to them, it's being done with them because in reality they bought into that as part of their due diligence. And due diligence can never be underestimated. The amount of work involved in that can never be underestimated. And one of the big questions for schools joining a map is do you, do you centralise everything or do you harmonise things? Do you gag peel, do you top slice? Would you actually run a mixture of the two if it was right for us? If we had a brilliant um, system and we have money sat in the bank and we generate £300,000 a year of additional revenue for the trust and our school, why would you make a change to that? Why would we join you if you turn around and say we're gag peeling so you're going to lose your school business manager? And heaven forbid, what we then say is we don't need a head teacher in the school. We only need a head of school paid 15, 20,000 less than a head teacher. Another way of saving money to put back to teaching and learning. Where is the balance between putting enough money to teaching and learning and actually running a risk of reputation because you're making people redundant? And this is all, all stems from gag pooling versus top flat and centralization, Tom. Yeah, no, I mean, it is an interesting one. Isn't it? And I think you allude there as to through a growth, you know, a growth journey, that increased trend towards centralization. Do you see it as being inevitable, though? So is there a best model? So let's say, you know, you, you become a relatively large man, you might have, say, you know, 20 or more schools. At that stage, is there sort of an agreed upon right way of doing things at the moment? Because what what we've got with with the you know f- with a fully academized system is essentially I'm, I don't really use the word flippantly, but a massive playground for for you know let's experiment with different ways of doing things. And and yeah. ultimately, you would hope that there's going to be some really good models that that come out of that. And there are some really good operating models at the moment. But maybe it's a bit theoretical. Is there a best way of doing it? And, and do, you know, do you know, one of the phrases I actually use when we're building mats or supporting multi-academy trusts is one size does not fit all. So it's down to the actual individual entity because what we've got is we've got, say, 22,000 schools in England. They'll all be in a multi-academy trust at some future point if, if, yeah. if everything is to be believed. We're going to end up with not 22,000 academy trusts. We're going to end up with a couple of thousand multi-academy trusts or even yeah. less than a thousand multi-academy trusts that have got multiple schools in it. What we're saying there is if there is one size that fits all, like when you get to eight, you centralise these functions. When you get to 15, you centralise these functions. And when you get to 20, you're a fully centralised, harmonious, harmonised multi-academy trust. That's saying that every multi-academy trust in the country is exactly like the the other multi-academy trusts in the country and all the schools have got the same skill sets and the same demographics. So I I don't see there being a a template for centralization. I see there being being a guide that, you know, when you get to uh, creating a five-school map, I I rarely see any of those multi-academy trusts go into a fully centralised system, rarely. It does happen, but I rarely see it. When you get to 7-8, the conversation starts to, to take place within the trust itself about how you actually deal with 8, 9, 10 budgets coming into the, the main bank account. You're top slicing out and then you're actually devolving the rest to the schools to, to and then you've got to oversee the school's budget and then you've got a two-way up, up and down, up and down, up and down. A communication line about who's spending what and how do you need to um, who do you need to talk to about ordering a thousand pens it gets too problematic the more the more schools you have in the mat so historically what I see is when you get to eight nine schools 
centralization starts to come onto the table to have a conversation. And usually that takes a couple of years. And in that then, because everyone's bought into the ethos and the culture of the trust, it's easier to have that conversation. Um, I think when you get to plus 10 schools in a mat, I think most trusts that even nowadays, even the educational mats, um, actually start favouring the centralisation model because of its ease, because of its ease, solely because we're actually not making masses of decisions across 10 entities and then all of a sudden someone's sat above it looking at it. Um, so I don't think there's a one size fits all. I think there's a guide and I think some schools, some trusts will do it earlier, some trusts will do it later. Others will are now actually thinking about um, hybrid models where you have hubs so one hub might be centralised and one hub might be topsized. Right, okay. Solely because of the skill sets and the strengths in that hub at that particular moment. Because if you've got a hub who's got five school business managers and five schools that are outstanding and they're doing everything superbly well, why change something if it's working? It doesn't make sense to change it. You would don't, sometimes what trusts are saying is, we'll only make that change to centralisation or pooling when something happens rather than proactively doing it because why, if, if it ain't broke, why fix it? We may have a hub down the road who actually uses full centralization because they don't have the skill sets within their hub to actually do what the other hub are doing. So we may actually even use a hybrid of centralization and, and gag pooling versus top slice and auto earned autonomy. And that's fine if it's right for the trust, as long as it works for the trust and as long as you've got the, the argument when the ESFA comes a calling and other schools want to join, as long as you can justify and prove that this is the right model because it's working for the children and it's working mm. for the staff and it's giving the parents what they need for their children to thrive, I don't see how we couldn't have that conversation. Yeah, I suppose it's a way for national trusts to be able to, to spread their vision but actually do it in a basis that's sustainable. Um, you, you know, that, that, that sort of hub model where... I, I like the idea of the flexibility there of being able to run a hybrid operation um, in the way that you've described, because, yeah, ultimately it is about the practical basis of this, isn't it? And, and it's getting it to work on the ground. Um, something might be fantastic in theory, um, but it's got to be appropriate for the particular setting. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really, really good point. In terms of that as well, I, I want to go on and talk a little bit about workforce because, um, again, from a theoretical perspective, we've talked about serving the trust, if you like, and we've talked about finances at a trust level. What about staff serving the trust rather than individual schools? And I know obviously there's, there's potential geographical boundaries to this, but a fully centralised workforce where you're employed by the trust and deployed as and where needed what what are the advantages and disadvantages of that? And, and, and have you, do you have any experience seeing that model um, across the country at the moment? I, I do. And to be fair, if you look at the legalities of it, the legalities are you're employed by the trust because you toop it across when your school converts. You toop it across from the employment of the authority to the employment of the trust. And most people don't realise that they're employed by the authority, not the school. Mm. So some people think that they're actually employed by the school and they'll only ever work in that like, one place. And they, actually, if you look at employment law, you're employed by the authority. And in reality, your school could close on a snow day, but the school down the road be open and the authority insists that you actually go to that other school. It rarely happens, but legally it can. 
It's the same when you convert to an academy and you join a multi-academy trust. You're tupid across from the employment of the authority to the employment of the trust. So your employer is the trust. And your trust has trading styles and, and sites and venues. And they're the individual schools. Mm. So legalities-wise, you could be employed uh, by the trust and then asked to go to a different school. Now, there's two ways of doing that, Tom. I could turn around quite aggressively to a staff member and say, Tom, uh, pack your briefcase, you're now working down at that school for the next term. Um, uh, I, regardless of the fact that you might need two trains to get there and it takes two hours yeah. to, to get there in because you don't drive and uh, there is an issue and you don't want to do it. Or I could turn around and say, Tom, you're employed by the trust and we have an issue that only you can solve. But if we make it worth your while and you could do this favour for us, your skill set can solve the issue at that school. You end up going. It's the same as if I turn around and force you to go. But it's done with you, not to you. And, it, and if the minute I do something to you and say you're now going down to that school for the next three months, then in reality you're going to have an issue because you're going to have negativity surrounding the trust. So in, potentially what you might do is start looking for another job. And I've lost your, your loyalty. I've lost your, your, your ethos and culture about working for this trust. But if I do it with you and say, Tom, you're the only person who can solve that. If I make it worth your while, would you please do it for us? If you do go to that school, then you're the one that's controlled that decision. I've just done it pleasantly, but the end result is you're still working down at that school. But what I have got is I've got your loyalty still and, and you're still bought into our culture because I've asked you I've asked you to do it. Although I have the legal right to do that. I've never seen in any of the 285 uh, academies we've created nationally, I've never seen any of the multi-academy trusts insist someone goes to a different site against their will. I've only ever seen it done with the person, not yeah. to the person. Despite the fact that when I worked in the banks, I, I once turned up and was told, Jeff, pack your, pack your locker, clear your locker, say bye to everyone, and you're now 30 miles away and you've got to be there in an hour's time. And I, I, I had no consultation with that. It was just done. Because that's what happens in the outside world. But in education, we are quite cosseted in the fact that you, you are employed by the authority, but your actual site is one school and it might be the same school for 40 years. But in reality, that isn't necessarily the case. So again, messaging becomes key in the 2P consultation when a school converts that this is a potential, but this trust will not do it this way. This trust will do it with you, not to you. And I have seen for career progression, it done really well where uh, um, that, that career, uh, that move to a different uh, entity is actually deemed a, a career progression opportunity because it's learning a different skill set. And, and I'd rather do it with a staff member than potentially lose a staff member because I've done it aggressively. I've done it collaboratively and collegiately with that, that, that staff member. I've retained the loyalty of that staff member and that staff member is thinking about what the, his or her career looks like moving forward. Um, and that ethos and culture, it, it, it's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, because I suppose it's the retention within, again, the trust rather than individual schools, isn't it? And ultimately over time every school within the trust will benefit from that enhanced retention and the extra experience across different settings etc um yeah. okay now that's that that's, that's really interesting again in terms of the, the practicalities there um 
If I could just run through a, a few other areas that, that, that may be centralized and get, get a few opinions on these. So, you know, one that we, we see um, at Iris certainly is, is centralization of payroll. Where do you think trusts are sitting at the moment in terms of whether payroll is, uh, is centralized or not? Because I, I know from my own experience, there's still a number where payroll responsibilities are devolved to individual schools. And presumably there's, there's a lot to be saved there by centralizing that function. Yeah, I mean, payroll is one of these that uh, for 12 years, our, our experience in 285 conversions is payroll is a potential pitfall. But it is where you can save money and you can actually get a good deal here. Um, so in reality, what we had 12 years ago and for a number of years is usually all schools would have payroll done by their local authority. And then what they do, uh, they'd move their HR from the authority, which is effectively most authorities, HRs are risk averse. They would then have their own HR and employment lawyers working with the, the, the academy. And then what we, they would do is they'd move the payroll with the HR and employment law. And what would happen is the local authorities' payroll wouldn't necessarily send the right information and the full information to the new payroll provider for conversion. What would then happen is people wouldn't get paid properly in month one of the academy. And they would automatically assume it was because we'd academized and the academy was wrong. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. what they wouldn't what they wouldn't think is oh actually it's the local authorities uh, uh, payroll who didn't send the right information to our new payroll provider because they were losing a contract that they've had for 40 50 60 70 years and in reality what 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 was in it for the uh, local authorities payroll to send the full information to it. So some payroll providers as for the academy were then saying but we couldn't do dummy runs because we didn't have the right information, so you didn't get paid. The staff member would just see on the 15th of the month or the 17th of the month, my wages haven't gone in, I've got a mortgage to pay. And they would blame the the fact that they have academised. They wouldn't necessarily track it back to then say it was the local authorities' payroll who actually didn't send us what we need. And that caused an issue. So what we're saying here is, or what we've always said, is HR and employment law is a brilliant way to centralise your SLAs from month one and save money to put back to teaching and learning. But if you're going to do that, payroll should really come with you and it should be centralised because you should really only have one payroll provider. It doesn't make sense to have an authority's payroll provider for three schools in the mat, um, a, a private one for three schools in the mat, and a different local authority where we've got three schools in a different local authority yeah, in the map. Yeah. Their authority is doing the payroll because you may end up with payroll run on the 15th, 17th and the last Wednesday of every month. And you're paying three different payroll providers for maybe three different um, um, quality uh, services. So in reality, payroll should be centralised and it should be done very, very early as HR and employment law should. Because it's a way that you can actually retain. Yeah, they they create something bigger than the parts, don't they, Tom? HR, employment law, and payroll. They 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 they're actually interlinked massively. But you can actually generate good economies of scale by centralising that from day one of even building a multi academy trust. They are the first two SLAs that we always say look at centralising on the day that you convert, right. because you can save money and you actually get a a really decent quality. 
um, uh, and you're not dealing with a number of different pro uh, providers. I've got a multi-academy trust at the moment who wishes to keep four different HR providers and two different payroll providers because they've always been happy with them. Now, when you actually do the mapping out, Tom, about what that's costing them and what they could save if they actually centralise that model, they're saving 30, 33, 34,000 quid. Why wouldn't mm. you want to save 33, 34,000 pounds that you put back into teaching and learning for the children? Yeah. And the minute they saw that, it was, well, let's have a conversation. We might have had a good service, but actually, if we're saving that type of money on one or two SLAs, what could we save if we actually centralised six, seven, eight, nine SLAs? That could be a person in the multi-academy trust. It could be an EWO. It could be a speech and language therapist. Yeah, absolutely. Just on savings alone, mm. that's employed by the trust rather than commissioning that from the authority and waiting six months to get an EWO. So I think the, that's a brilliant one, that, that payroll. It should be done very, very quickly, as HR and employment law should, and centralise that, get the economies of scale, direct the money back to teaching and learning, and it's a quick win. Yeah, okay. And what about um, estates or, or facilities teams, um, you know, managing that centrally? Have you, have you seen that done successfully? Do you know, I have, and I've seen that done uh, last year in, in a brand new multi-academy trust where they had... Um, their different estates team, they had one um, site manager who, who, who was just absolutely outstanding, could, could see strategically across num numerous sites. And what they did was, they in the top slice, uh, or they actually used gag pooling, they took him into the central team as an estates director. Right. And he has this strategic plan over all of the estates working with the site managers across the other schools. And, and his strategic plan working with the team He's, he's looking at the SIF bids, he's looking at when they become um, a, a five school map with more than 3,000 pupils, they go to the school condition allocation, they go to the SCA. Yeah. And, and they've got a long-term strategic plan because they've, they've centralised the estates team rather than one saying, well, actually, I need this, so I'll, I'll go and organise that through the school office. Another school saying, I need that, so I'll go and organise it through the school office. They took an umbrella view thinking, well, if you need it in one site, we'll need that across all sites. So let's go to a provider who can give us an economy of scale, a much better deal providing it across five sites as opposed to it across five individual sites at five individual costs. And that strategic plan has, has borne fruit. So I like the idea of centralising estates very, very quickly. I like the idea of centralising IT so, uh, very very quickly and put and putting um, uh, trust intranets inside you know in, in place and being able to pick up a phone and speed down you know another head teacher in a different site rather than going through the the main switch so centralizing of IT centralizing of estates centralizing of uh, HR and payroll I think these are really really quick fire wins and they bought bear fruits very very quickly for the whole of the trust as long as you've got the skill sets and the mindset to do it. Again, really interesting. I mean, all of these are obviously business functions. When when we come to things like school improvement uh, you know, and curriculum, to what extent do you see that working well or not so well when there are, say, central school improvement teams or there's a school improvement director or there's you know a head of curriculum across the mat and and, and things are aligned in that sense versus a model where successful schools are allowed to design their own curricula and essentially get on with it yeah that that's interesting that because i do see multi-academy trusts 
they're, they're, for the want of a better phrase, their sales pitch to other schools saying, you get full autonomy, we'll leave you alone because you're an outstanding school, so we don't need to actually over, or oversee you, or you're a good school, uh, we don't need to oversee you. There is always an element of oversight in a multi-academy trust, whether you're outstanding or you're not. Um, and sometimes what we get to the stage is we've got a multi-academy trust that's run as mini fiefdoms with a bolted on multi-academy trust that sits above them. So in reality, it's led by the individual schools because we're doing everything right and we're outstanding and we think we're outstanding or we are outstanding. But Tom, there is an element here of having centralised roles from day one in a multi-academy trust of a director of teaching and learning, a director of school improvement, a director of primary, a director of secondary, a director of SEND who actually is the bridge between the trust and the schools and overseeing the good practice in the schools and transferring skill sets and knowledge from yeah. one school to the other. Because what we don't want to get to a stage is we've got a five school mat with a bolted on trust and they're all running as mini fiefdoms because it doesn't work. As people come and go, as people leave, as a school starts to struggle, we will need to implement what we call a school improvement plan. And now the DfE are actually aware of it. So usually when we're building a multi-academy trust, we're actually now asked, what's your school improvement model? What does your central team capacity look like? And one of the things that we, we, we hear consistently with the over 50 multi-academy trusts we support is grow capacity in your central team before you grow the trust. Don't do it after the schools have joined. Do it before the schools have joined. So in other words, don't wait to say, let's take another three schools because that'll get us a director of teaching and learning. Get the director of teaching and learning before the schools join. Because number one, this is your USP. Number two, it's an easier transition in. Your onboarding process is far, far quicker than actually reacting to the schools that are joining. What you're doing is you're building the platform for schools to join. You're not actually building the infrastructure after they've joined. So school improvement models should be school to school support, trust to trust support. What can we learn? How can we spread it out? What does that look like? That might involve people. It might involve a director of teaching and learning, director of primary, director of secondary. Plan it out before the schools join you because it, it, it's a sales pitch to schools saying, we've already thought this. Our strategic decision-making is so solid that when you join, we already have a school improvement model in place and we will oversee you we you know we're not going to just allow you to run a fiefdom because you are outstanding there has to be oversight here so that i think is really key school improvement within a multi-academy trust and what do we do how do we actually finance it so utilizing finances to build a central team capacity to build the school improvement model to bring other schools in it's just a circle tom and we keep going around the circle as other schools join and as we grow the trust central team capacity. That's key. I see that being done now very, very well. Whereas I see it in other trusts, come in, you get full autonomy. We call it earned autonomy because we think this is what you want to hear. You come in, you run a mini fiefdom, and then when something goes wrong, we will oversee you. And that's where it goes pear-shaped because you say, because you say to them, the trust, you told us we had full autonomy. You can never have full autonomy in a mat. We have to get that messaging clear. That, I mean, it's an incredibly important point about building the infrastructure first. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of small trust leaders who, I mean, they, they suffer you know, capacity issues in terms of having a CEO, CFO, and, and, and usually it's, it's those two, um, those two against the world, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. And, 
And actually what you're saying here is, I suppose, even if you don't build that infrastructure, it's about having the plan of what, what you're going to have in place as, as you bring schools on board. But the more that you can front load that and have that, that infrastructure present is going to smooth that process. Uh, Tom, that's so right. What, what we talk about is we're talking about um, upscaling and upskilling a trust um, infrastructure mindset processes and systems if we if we upskill and upscale those it's planning out so plan planning out processes you know for when other schools join you what does that mapping out look like as long as you have a plan and it looks right and it feels right and you can implement it and you can see the benefits of it you're proactively planning growth you're not reacting to growth that another three schools join us well actually their top slice will allow us to get this that that's a reactive plan if you plan out we can have this now and then we, the next three schools that come in, this is what the, it does to the trust. Upscaling and upskilling mindset, processes, systems and infrastructure. And this is why schools and multi-academy trust need partners such as Iris. They need self-assessment and then they need external verification and even external triangulation to understand where they are, where they need to be and what does the journey look like to get there. And my, my advice to all trust listening or, or all schools listening is, seek the best external advice you can get from day one. The earlier you do it, the better your planning is. The better your planning is, the better the decision-making. And better decision-making leads to better outcomes for children. And that is exactly what all of us are in it for. Absolutely, couldn't have said it better. Um, <laughs> no, thank you for that. Uh, so if we just wrap up by, by maybe considering, I suppose, what, what multi-academy trusts absolutely should be doing right now in terms of centralization or, or harmonization of, of SLAs, etc., if they're not already doing so. If we had some takeaways, you know, make sure you are doing this, this, this right now, today. I think the first one, Tom, is actually, is recognise that this, although the schools bill has been pulled, the white paper hasn't. The yes. white paper is yes. still here. The DfE have gone to great lengths to say the white paper has not been pulled. Yeah. So we're still looking at, we have 10,000 academies. We have about 12,000 in England still to go. We have this, this goal of um, a fully academised system. We have this 20, 30, 10 schools, 7,500 pupils. But schools should now be recognising that they don't really want to be the last school standing and be uh, have one option at some future point, which is to go cap in hand to join a multi-academy trust. So conversely, what we need multi-academy trust to do is understand what that growth model looks like and where their strengths are where their potential weaknesses are and seek external support in actually saying where do we want to be for our schools and as a trust do we want to merge into someone else have we got the capacity to grow have we got the ability to lead or do we not have that and which trust should we merge into trust now needs to start thinking which are the three options they want option one do nothing but have a plan b option two merge into a larger multi-academy trust but the caveat there is do your due diligence properly option three grow your own multi-academy trust or if you're a maintained school listening create your own multi-academy trust caveat there choose your partners wisely and then do your due diligence properly and all along look at what's working in your school and what you can do coming together to create something bigger than the sum of the parts but my biggest piece of advice is is tom is speak to those external agencies who do this for a living, who can hold your hand through, challenge your thought processes, support your thinking, and say, you may not have thought about this, 
but we really now need to start looking at centralizing your HR and your employment law, which then conversely centralizes your payroll. We then need to start looking at upskilling and upscaling your processes system. Get all of this thought process going into multi-academy trust now, because the future will look different rather than them just looking toward at the end of their nose. They've got to look much further and they've got to seek all of that external support. And one of the big questions is map out central team growth before we grow the trust mm. and map out what does the centralization journey look like at each given phase phase one five schools phase two eight schools phase three ten schools what does centralize it what can we bring in in centralizing more as we get bigger to drive money back to curriculum and teaching and learning and build it from the ground up rather than having a top-down model where no one's involved messaging becomes key and that's my biggest one is messaging becomes key think it through plan it out what does that messaging to your stakeholders look like and then engage properly and robustly because you're having an open conversation and you've already got the answers before someone knows they've even got the question and all of this can be done all of this can be done they just need to think it through and seek the advice from companies such as iris i mean you know you you paint it as a very simple task but <laughs> no i think and, I think and it can be tom if, uh, if you've got that support at the side of them yeah i mean i think that's wonderful advice and it, it's such an important thing to to get right first time isn't it because it's children's lives at, at stake ultimately it's you know absolutely. it's their education it's their futures um absolutely thank you jeff i mean that, that was absolutely fantastic and um, thank you for all the all the advice and and uh thanks everyone for listening and i hope you enjoyed the conversation for the latest updates and links to future episodes please check out our social media channels.